Good morning. Boker Tov. Boker Tov is Hebrew for good morning, of course. It's good to be with you. I'm from Pittsburgh. Married. My wife's name is Sue. We have three kids, Joel, Hannah, and Rachel. We have two golden retrievers and three cats. And we're Pittsburgh Pirate and Steeler fans. Is that a good thing? Okay. Should I uh, leave the stage? I love Israel. In fact, uh, I direct our nonprofit ministry after pastoring for about 27 years. We call ourselves Biblical Israel Ministries and Tours. And basically, we do two things. We lead trips to Israel, and we teach the Bible in the context of this land, 300 miles long, maybe 75 at its widest point. And we're going to talk about a story that took place here in Jerusalem. It's actually a unique pictorial message I want to share with you uh, this morning. So these maps, by the way, are available on the table out by the entry to the church. But it is a pleasure to be with you and to greet you with some Hebrew words that actually appear on what is called a tallit. It's a t- prayer shawl. In fact, here in Hebrew uh, are the words, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu HaMelech HaOlam, which means, Baruch Adonai, blessed are you, our Lord, HaMelech HaOlam, the King of the universe. And this morning, my friends, we have come to preach about the King of the universe. Amen? Amen. His name is Jesus. So we can't go wrong there. It's actually a text from John chapter 9. And I hope that as we open up this text together, that God will open up not only our physical eyes to what you're going to see pictorially in front of you, but I do hope and pray that our spiritual eyes will be open as well as we see Jesus anew. So as we begin, will you uh, do me the honor of praying with me, please? Lord, open our eyes, our spiritual eyes in our hearts so that we might see you anew. Uh, May the text of Scripture come alive and may my words reflect your words and your spirit's leading. We pray these things humbly in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So when's the last time? Uh Uh-oh. We don't have a slide there back there. We do? Okay, good. When's the last time you've actually had an eye test? A guy named Herman Stelling back in the late 1800s, uh, 19, or maybe the early 1900s, developed this eye test. And uh, there it is. You can see it. Of course, it's big screen, blown up, big size. So I think all of us can even read the, the bottom line, right? But typically, we we need these kinds of, uh, where's my reading glasses? I guess here they are. Most of us, right, need reading glasses like this. And I have about four pair. Uh, You know, one for every room in case I misplace one. How many of you can relate to that? So as we open our text to John chapter 9 and uh, actually talk about Jesus... Uh, I want to talk about spiritual eyesight, not physical eyesight, but how do we see Jesus? That's the the key element of our particular 
text this morning. And I want to read it actually in a way that perhaps will bring it to life. Now, I want to read it, I'll say, in a dramatic way. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to play out the parts of, of this narrative. Of course, there is a narrator. And, of course, there is the blind guy who was born from uh, at birth blind, of course, as the story will unfold. We have Jesus who says a few things in this text. We have the blind parents' family. We have uh, the crowd and the neighbors and the disciples chiming in from uh, one time or another. And then we also have the obnoxious Pharisees who actually play a big part in this story. Maybe you've heard Pastor preach this before, but I want us just to simply listen to the story before we sort of unfold the story in a very simple way. We're going to actually see, no pun intended, how this blind man who was given sight by Jesus actually saw Jesus one step at a time. But here is the story from John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After seeing, saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. By the way, I picture this blind guy with a high squeaky voice. It's actually not in the text, but, you know, play along, okay? Well, then how were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisee the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was Shabbat or the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And the man replied, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, oh, This man is not from God, 
for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then the Pharisees turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes they opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet! They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents and they asked him, Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? The parents answered, Well, well, well we, we know he's our son, and we, we know he's been born blind, but how he can see and open his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man's a sinner. The blind man replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Then they asked him, well, what did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? Sort of sounds like Darth Vader too there, doesn't it? <laughs> then they asked him, and he replied, Why, I have already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? At this they hurled insults at him and said, Oh, you are this fellow's disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, Now isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. 
Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now there's four simple things, but significant things that are happening. I think in this text of John chapter 9. This man born blind walks through a progression of steps of seeing Jesus in a different way. In fact, here is how I think the story unfolds. First, Jesus is referred to as the man called Jesus. Let's talk about the cure. It's interesting that this story happens in Jerusalem. The disciples initially were not moved by compassion, but by curiosity, because as some of the rabbis believed, you could actually sin before you were born. Therefore, this blind guy had zero chance of being restored, not only physically, but especially spiritually. He had zero chance of being forgiven. Now this happened in a place called Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, probably here in the temple courts, Jesus was already talking to many. People were curious to see who he was. People from the Galilee, from the Jerusalem, from even Samaria, even probably Gentiles were wondering Who is this messianic figure named Jesus? So Jesus somewhere, perhaps here in the southwest corner of the temple, walking on a a Herodian street, 2,000 years old, maybe this is where Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, put it on the man's eyes, and told him to go and wash. So the man, obviously helped by someone, walking on this very Herodian street, walks all the way to the southern end at the bottom portion of this slide to the pool of Siloam. It's circled there in black for you. Now that street, by the way, has incidentally just been discovered. In fact, this is sort of cool to be able to share this with you because for the first time since even last week, this portion of this Herodian street called the Pilgrimage Road 350 meters of it has been exposed, and there it is. Archaeologists have been digging this for about five years, and this is probably the same street that this blind guy walked on to get to the pool. Now, underneath this street is a drainage channel. In fact, there you can see the bottom portions of the street laid in this way, above us. It's an amazing archaeological discovery as well. We actually walk underneath the very street the blind guy used. He eventually gets to the Pool of Siloam. It looks like this today. It's the size of an Olympic swimming pool. It probably looked like this. This, my friends, is the context of this story. 
And this blind guy basically says, hey, this guy named Jesus, he's the one who told me to come to the pool. Now, in our culture today, we all know that the name Jesus means a lot to some of us, most of us, because he's our Lord and Savior. He's the one who has come to redeem us. But in our culture, Jesus is maybe not even a household name. In fact, some might recognize Jesus as ah, someone born in Bethlehem. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was a rabbi. Maybe he had followers. But that's about it. Well, at this point in this blind man's life, this is all that Jesus was to him. In fact, the name Yeshua was a very common name. It's like Joe, Yeshua, Joshua. Who healed you? Ah, some Joe from the Galilee. So at this point, Jesus was no more than Yeshua from Galilee. But watch happen. Watch what happens here as the story unfolds. Because we now have this man recognize him as the prophet. And there's a controversy now going on in this story. How many of you have been in a controversy over the last week? Political? Almost hard to avoid that anymore. Husband, wife, any controversy there? Pastor says that that doesn't happen in this church, by the way. <laughs> There's a controversy. Actually, it's twofold. The first one is that, is this actually the guy who was born blind, who now says he can see? But the second controversy is this. It happened on the, Shab uh, the, the Sabbath or the Shabbat, as we say in Hebrew, the Shabbat. Some rabbinical scholars will say of the 10 commands given to Moses, nine of them are contingent on, on keep the Sabbath. That's how highly elevated and important and significant some of our Jewish brothers and sisters, especially the Orthodox and the ultra-Orthodox Jews, they elevate the importance of the Shabbat. And of course here, this automatically disqualified Jesus of being a prophet because he did it on the Shabbat. Unlike the prophets that the audience would have known about. Let's, for instance, go to the top of Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. I know there's a number of other alternative sites to this mountain. Or how about the prophet Elijah? Here on Mount Carmel, it's mentioned in 1 Kings 18. The prophet Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal or Baal and Asherah. Or how about the prophet of Isaiah? Contemporary with the righteous king named Hezekiah at the end of the 8th century BC, Isaiah is the one who here perhaps in the Judean desert proclaims, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a highway for our God. You see, Jesus was now identified as maybe a prophet by this man. But how could he be a prophet? Others were contending because he did this on the Sabbath. 
But you see what the audience in that day, back in Jerusalem, at the Pool of Siloam, did not realize or recognize was that Jesus came not just to uh, heal people physically, but to heal people spiritually, to open people's eyes. Just think how much unrest must have been uh, present in the life of this blind guy. How many of you here this morning are looking for a little peace and rest, by the way? How many of you have had a, a very, very difficult week or a month, and you're simply exhausted? I think that this blind guy must be right there. He must have been all his life exhausted from begging, from being led from one place to another, looking for at least a little peace and rest. Reminds me of a story of an older couple who were hanging out their laundry in their backyard. Do, do you still do that at all here in Florida? I remember my mom doing this, and of course the smell of the sheets as they would dry in the wind, oh, that's a, a, a great experience. Well, this couple, as they were bringing in their now dry laundry from the clothesline, uh, they saw this golden retriever. Had no identification, no collar, uh, no identification tag, but this dog follows this older couple through the back door, down the hallway. It takes a nap for an hour, and then about an hour later, gets up and they let the dog out, and he goes his way. Well, a couple of days later, the same thing happens. Here comes the same old golden retriever, worn out, looking pretty tired, he takes a nap for an hour, and then he gets up and they let him out. Well, this happened three times. So this older couple decided that after the third time, they would write a little note and attach it to uh, this collar that did not have any identification. And the note basically says, we're looking for the owners of this dog. We've been caring for this dog. We just want to make sure that uh, he has a safe home. Well, guess what? A week later, here comes the same dog. But this time, the dog has a different note underneath his collar. And the note basically said, in essence, thank you for caring for our dog. We want you to know that this dog lives in a house with six kids, three of them under the age of two. He's just looking for a little peace and rest. P.S., can I come too? <laughs> Maybe you are here this morning needing a little peace and rest, but you don't know where to find it. You're not going to find it in money or a house or a car, even a relationship other than a relationship with the one who restores our lives completely, and his name is Jesus. Only in Jesus can you find spiritual peace and rest. But now the story continues. Because after this blind guy sees Jesus as a man, secondly, as a prophet, now he's the man from God. I want to read verses 30 and 33 again. Here it is. The man answered, now, isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from. By the way, he's responding 
four times to the question whether he's the guy who was born blind or not. And this healed blind guy now continues. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Here it is. If this man were not from God. There it is. You see the transition? A man, a prophet. Now he just might be someone who's from God. Well, that's exactly who Jesus is. I want to take you over the next four minutes as we see this connection build. I want to take you to various parts of Israel. And let's retrace the ministry of Jesus. This man from God, born in Bethlehem, born as the very Son of God, prophesied by Micah and Isaiah, born in the shadows of King Herod's palace fortress of Herodium, just south of Jerusalem. Jesus then would be baptized in the Jordan River, set apart for ministry. He would be tempted in the Judean desert for 40 days, depending on his heavenly father, but not giving in to temptation. Jesus would be one who would go back to his hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up. But now at the age of 30, he was ready to proclaim the kingdom message of God. About four miles away is a Jewish city called Sephorus. So this was a primary, primarily a Jewish area. Cana was also in this area where Jesus would end up performing his first miracle. It's mentioned in John chapter 2. But the Sea of Galilee would be primarily where Jesus would serve and minister. You see, crowds would come out of curiosity to hear him preach, to see him heal people, to understand that he could exercise demons from people. Here on this northwest corner is the city of Capernaum. Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 9, Luke 7, John 6. All of these stories about what Jesus did here in the city of Capernaum. He taught with authority. He called 12 disciples. He served in cities like Chorazin, one of the three cities that were eventually condemned by Jesus because they did not believe in him. Here at the northern end, where Peter, Andrew, and Philip grew up, near Bethsaida, Jesus fed the 5,000. You see, Jesus displayed who he was to everyone. Some believed, some did not. Here in Magdala, we find a first century synagogue who was from Magdala, namely Mary Magdalene, who was exorcised from her demons And here in this very synagogue, Jesus proclaims healing upon her. He would do the same thing and teach in this synagogue at Gamla, a first century synagogue. You see, today we can retrace the footsteps of Jesus. We can go to the Mount of Beatitudes and see where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. His kingdom message, that was his go-to message. Repent of your sin and and receive the kingdom. Jesus would also sail on the Sea of Galilee in boats like this, a boat that was found in 1986. Mark 4, Matthew 14, 
storm narratives where Jesus displayed his power. Perhaps he went to the top of this mountain, Arbel, to prepare his disciples for kingdom ministry. He was transformed, transfigured, Matthew 17, on the slopes of Mount Hermon. But here in Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Eventually, Jesus predicted his, his death and his resurrection in Jerusalem. You see, this is who Jesus was back 2,000 years ago. This is who Jesus still is. As he went to Jerusalem, he taught in the temple. He was betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took his cross. He was crucified on Golgotha. And in three days, he rose again. You see, if you are doubting who this Jesus really was, doubt no more. Because this Jesus is the one with whom we can connect to today. And how do we connect to this Jesus? Yes, he lived 2,000 years ago, but we connect with him through God's word, the truth of his word. And in fact, listen to what Paul would say here in this first chapter of the book of Colossians. If there's any doubt who Jesus still is today, the apostle Paul wrote this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. At the end of this story, this blind guy finally recognizes Jesus as the Son of Man. And this, my friends, is where we see the confession. The blind guy basically says, Lord, I believe you are the Son of Man. You see, a term that Jesus would use and other gospel writers would, would use to remind us of Jesus' purpose. He came not to be served, but Jesus came to serve he came to serve you and me he came to offer his life for you and me so that our spiritual eyes and our hearts can be open to him that's why Jesus came that's who Jesus is Let's end this time together with a spiritual eye test because I want everyone to know that Jesus loves you. 
That's the truth of God's word. He did not come to condemn us, but to save us, to love us. And I hope that our eyes and our hearts can see and hear the invitation. Because Jesus says, open your eyes and your hearts to him. I hope that we all can see the truth of the kingdom message. Maybe you're here at various stages of identifying who Jesus is. Maybe to you, he's only just a man named Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's a man from God. But I hope that all of us transition into the realization and the acceptance of Jesus as the Son of Man. A messianic term taken and borrowed from the book of Daniel. At least a dozen times Mark uses this. But my friends, seeing Jesus anew requires simply saying, Lord, I cannot save myself. I recognize that you went to the cross of Christ, uh, the cross of Calvary, to die for my sins. And now you open up an invitation for me as unworthy and as, as undeserving as I, I'm, I may be. Jesus offers us this wonderful message of redemption so that all of us can be free from the past so that all of us can live for the present so all of us can take joy in the future of eternal life with him let's pray together as we bring this to a close and pray with me this prayer if you are here this morning needing to take that step of faith in receiving Jesus for the first time. Lord, hear this prayer. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. To this point, I have not seen who you are. Now I see that you are a Savior, a Redeemer, and I want to receive you into my life today. Open my eyes, open my heart, Lord, so that I may receive you and enter into a personal relationship with you, giving me the hope and promise of eternal life. Lord, thank you for who you are coming to this world to live and yet die and to be raised again so that we may live. We pray these things with humble hearts and yet with open eyes as we say thank you for what you have done for us. And we pray this in your name and all of God's people said, Can you give Dr. John a great big hand? What an awesome presentation.
I hope you got a little bit of taste of what we felt when we went to Israel. And really, this whole thing is about Jesus. You know, when you read the Bible, there's so many times that just, there's this huge disconnect. But even today, as he read through the scripture and you saw the images, the pictures of the actual places that Jesus ministered, Jesus served people, I want to just kind of bring this message back home again. See, for this blind guy, he had a problem and he needed a cure. And you might be in this room today and you might not be physically blind, but you might be spiritually blind. And maybe you, you know, you're, we're in different steps. The fact that you came to a church on Sunday means that there's some spiritual inclination in you. The fact that you would even come however you got here today. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you know Jesus. The fact is you know you still need a cure. We all need a cure. We're all prone to sin. We need a Savior, and not just a one-time Savior. We need a Savior who's real to us every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Come on. This guy needed a cure. There was a lot of controversy about Jesus in Israel today. As a believer, as a Christian, you're not even actually allowed to share your faith on the street. Uh, in America today, it, it, my son works at a large corporation, a Fortune 100 corporation, and, and he's not able to publicly talk about Jesus in the workplace. You can talk about lots of things. You can talk about pride and lots of other stuff, but you can't talk about, really talk about Jesus. You can't. There's a lot of controversy in our culture today, but I want you to know that Jesus isn't confused about who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's come to save mankind from their sins, to give them a hope, to give them a life. Oh, there might be controversy in our world, but in the courts of heaven, it's been established for all eternity. He is the King, and he is our God, and he is our Lord. And I love how this, this progression came in this man's life. He recognized that there was something different about him. Something different about Jesus when he reveals himself to us. And he presents the cure to our life. We're changed and we're transformed. But it all came as a result of this one thing. He said, Lord, I believe with the confession of his mouth. And that's where it starts for you and I today. It starts with the confession of our mouth. I believe. Lord Jesus, I thank you that not only were you my Savior 2,000 years ago, thank you not, not even the day that I came maybe to faith in you, but you are my Savior in this moment. Lord, you know exactly what I'm going through. You know exactly what I'm walking through. Today you're in the room. Man, and like this blind guy, what a powerful story. That story's still being told today. I don't know about you, but it's being told in my life. Come on, it's being told in my life. It's being told in our lives today. He's the living word. He's alive today. It's who we sing about. It's who we talk about. It's who we worship today. As you heard Brother John said right at the very beginning, he loves you. He really loves you. You're in the room today. You need to know that. You need to know that he really loves you. Come on, deep inside. You need a cure for something in your life. You need your eyes to be open to see. I want everyone to close their eyes right now. I know he gave an altar invitation, but I want to just give you this moment right now. Let make this real to you. Make this real to your heart. You're in this room today, and you need a cure. I don't care what the cure is, but you know. Maybe it is coming to faith in Christ. Maybe it is you, today your eyes have been opened. You know what? I don't really know him. Maybe that is your cure today. Maybe the cure in your life today is just something you've been carrying 
way too long, some hang-up, some hurt, some habit. And today you're just through with it. You're like this blind guy. I once was blind, but now I see. Today Jesus is here to give you sight. I don't know where you're at in this journey today, but if you know you need Jesus today in a very real way, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, in this room right now. Anyone here today? Come on, hands are going up across this room. Jesus is here. Come on, amen. Amen. All kinds of hands. Can I just, everyone, just say this really simple prayer with me? Lord Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the cure of my life. Thank you that you settled the controversy. And today I have connection with you because I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my God who makes me see. Come into my world, Jesus. Make it real today. I receive your love. I receive your healing. I receive your forgiveness in your wonderful name. Come on, if you believe that today, put your hands together. Tell Jesus you love him right now.